talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Lurskin is on the board. If Quebec is taxing those not vaccinated, is our Canadian healthcare system truly free and universal? Here's Scott Thompson! You gonna run? <laughs> That's hilarious. Who writes that stuff? Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today, Thursday edition. Wait a second. Let me check. Yeah, it is Thursday edition. Uh, Will Erskine on the board. In the newsroom, Lisa Pileski and Dave Woodard watching the world spin for us and keeping us abreast of everything we need to know and sometimes don't need to know. Uh, and, of course, we'll all uh, be joining us around the big round table coming up uh, after the 4.30 news. Uh, join us for that. Jump into the fun. Uh, you can be a part of it. Send us your notes. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open. All right, Ronnie Spector, lead singer for the Ronettes, has passed away at the age of of 78, uh, part of a uh, a stable of uh, bands that Phil Spector had uh, worked with over the years and uh, female groups that uh, were very prominent during the early and mid-60s. To talk more about all of this, Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music and with us now. Alan, thanks again for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, yeah. Testing negative, staying positive. (laughs) What else can you do? And listening to the wall of sound. Man, as soon as you put those old records on, you just hear that sound come out. You can can really tell it's a Phil Spector production, can't you? Yeah, you can. And it's all in mono. Uh, Phil Spector with no time for stereo. He wanted it all in mono. And uh, he had these big rooms in Los Angeles and New York where he would record. And uh, he, he balanced all these musicians and all these singers and with, with basically one microphone. <laughs> and that's the sound you got. So he wanted, uh, this, he wanted this music to, to pop out of uh, AM radio speakers. He wanted it to be bigger and louder than anything else that was on the radio at the time. And he did a very good job at that. So considering he was so groundbreaking with mono recordings and the whole wall of sound and all of that, why did he not embrace stereo and, and all it could offer moving forward production-wise? He didn't believe stereo was required. He was making music for like that AM radio. And uh, he said uh, the technology was unnecessary. I am a genius. And let's not forget <laughs> that... Uh, he was very fond of himself, uh, and and he uh, didn't see the need for two channels. So, uh, give us some backstory, a little history uh, uh, of this band, because uh, it, it seemed he had a long run with female uh, uh, singers and lead and uh, bands and such in the mid '60s. Yeah. So the the focus here is on Ronnie Spector. Ronnie Spector formed the Ronettes in 1957 with her sister and her cousin, and uh, starting in 1960. And to have a series of, of hits that laid the foundation for a number of things. First of all, they were the quintessential 60s girl group. Um, uh, Ronnie came from Spanish Harlem. You could hear the, the, uh, the street accent in her voice. There was this uh, sense that she was you know, one of these bad girls with a heart of gold. Mm. Uh, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the uh, Beach Boys, they all became absolutely besotted with this sound. I mean, the Phil Spector sound helped as well, but it was the way Ronnie's voice cut through. Uh, she dated yeah. George Harrison for a while. George Harrison wrote some songs for her. Uh, they went on tour with the Rolling Stones in 64. They uh, went on tour with the Beatles in 66. 
they remain lifelong friends for as long as they were all alive. Um, and then, you know, when things really started to go south in the 19, late 1960s, after she got married to, Paul, uh, to Phil Spector and had a terribly abusive relationship, she ended up hanging out with the punks at CBGB in New York. So she became friends with the Ramones. She became friends with Patti Smith and Blondie and, and the Talking Heads. Uh, and, and they all just worshipped her because of, of where she came from, what she had done and what she had survived. Uh, and then her career gets relaunched again in the 1980s. Uh, maybe you'll remember that black and white video she did with Eddie Money in 89 yeah. uh, with Take Me Home Tonight. This, you know, this impossibly thin woman coming through this arena just looking so glamorous and sexy. And then uh, the year later, she wrote a, a memoir that talks about uh, her, her years of abuse. So she was into the whole Me Too thing, exposing those problems decades before anybody else. And then for the rest of her life, she was just, uh, you know, she, she, she didn't realize how big she was, how important she was. And, uh, later in her life, she, she ended up going back to Britain and uh, didn't think anybody would show up to see her shows, but they were all sellouts. So I would, uh, on certain, oh, and of course, if there's, if there's no Ronnie Spector, there's no Amy Winehouse, there's yeah. no Karen O, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, there's none of these, these contemporary singers uh, who modeled themselves after her. And, um, uh, you know, I would go so far as to say is that she is, she was one of the, maybe the most badass female pop singer of all time, considering what she went through and all the people that she, uh, she influenced. You bring up an interesting point and you said bad girls, uh, with a heart of gold. Uh, she prided herself in not being like the other girl groups. Didn't want to be like the Shirelles, didn't want to come up with the big dresses and, and do the whatever. As you said, uh, they wanted an edge and, and that's what made them stand out. It, it is. And let's also remember that, that many people chased what the Ronettes were doing. Um, not, not least of which was Barry Gordy over at Motown. Uh, you know, Martha and the Vandellas yep. and the Marvelettes and everything. I mean, you know, once uh, the girl group thing had caught on with Spectre, Barry Gordy wanted a piece of this action. So and we all know how the Motown thing worked out, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, how do you have that much influence across that many genres, across that many years, and, and be the most badass female pop star of all time? Uh, Stevie Van Zandt, one of the many uh, musicians that are coming out and speaking about her passing. Uh, talk about that relationship a bit and, and what she meant to him. Well, the, the girl group thing was uh, very close to, was, was an important part of the foundation of garage rock in the 1960s, yeah. which of course is Little Steven, right? It's all about the, you know, the, the gritty, honest, authentic sort of street-level, garage-level music that, that really popped out first in the 1960s and then carried on through punk and, and still be found today in, in bands like the White Stripes and, and Jack White. Um, he was a, a huge fan and at one point actually ended up recording with, yeah. uh, with her in, uh, this would be in, in the 70s. Springsteen had uh, run into legal problems after Born to Run and uh, the the E Street Band had had did we lose Alan? Sorry, go ahead, Alan. I, we just you just cut out there oh. a sec. What, what, what was the last thing you heard? Uh, that there was some legal problems with the E Street Band. Right. So uh, they weren't getting paid. Uh, the E Street Band wasn't getting paid. So uh, Steve Van Zant uh, put together a project where he invited Ronnie in to come and sing. 
And uh, so, so he helped her, she helped him, and, you know, they maintained a lifelong uh, relationship after that. Uh, they actually got a little, I mean, I think there was a, like a, an actual relationship there, too. Uh, over time, how do you think, you know, and, and you, you brought up an interesting point, and I, I don't think people realized even at the time how much of an impact she would have on uh, the history of, of pop music and such and her, and her place in that era. Um, why do we seem to recognize that now more than we did or, than earlier on? Why didn't we realize she was the star at the time? Uh, I think... I, I think, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much noise in pop culture right now. So many people vying for attention. Um, and, and she had had a, a, a fairly low profile for the last, uh, you know, 30 years. She married her manager in 1982, and they were happily living in Connecticut. She would do some shows, occasionally do some recording, uh, occasionally show up to, to do a few other things. But, um, you know, she's, she's hasn't really been, you know, her Christmas show, I guess, is the biggest thing. But you have to be in New York. I think you have to be part of a, a certain scene to, to, to keep up to date with what she was doing. And that's, that's just, you know, and sometimes you just, sadly, you just got to die before people say, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Alan Cross with us, host of the ongoing history of new music, talking about the passing of Ronnie Spector, lead singer of the Ronettes, passing away at the age of 78. Alan, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You bet. You too. All right. Lots of chatter, uh, especially in the last couple of days uh, with Quebec uh, unveiling its latest position in regard to uh, they're looking at uh, if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to pay. They're going to charge you an extra health tax uh, and such. Uh, we should mention, I said, nobody's doing it now. I, well, nobody is doing it now, but they will start later on. Uh, I believe Greece and Austria also working on uh, similar situations, uh, which will start in the future. Um, so uh, here we are, and, and, and having this discussion, it started with... Um, you know, mandatory vaccine and such, uh, fully vaccinated. I encourage everybody to be fully vaccinated. But once we start doing what Quebec is suggesting, I think we're heading down a very uh, slippery slope. That being said, is it all a scare tactic? Is it even possible uh, to find out legally what uh, is right and what is wrong with uh, a few of these uh, issues? Let's bring in John Pincus, partner with Sanfiro Tamarkin's uh, LLP and with us now. John, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon. I hope you're well, too. Uh, let's start with uh, just a general uh, before we even get to the issue of Quebec and what they're uh, what they're proposing. Are there legal ref- uh, ramifications as we try to get the last segment of the population uh, vaccinated? Uh, what is your take? What can and can't we do? Well, I should mention that I, I come at this from an employment law perspective, so I look at not really what the government uh, is able to do because there's a wide variety of measures that the government can do. But I look at this rather from the perspective of, in light of the uh, executive and legislative choices that the government has made, what are employers permitted to do? And uh, what I am seeing um, across the board in in municipalities and private employers um, is that uh, many employers are basically uh, blurring the lines between public health authorities um, and their role as employers. And um, that's leading to a tremendous amount of litigation. And I, I, I don't know if employers are doing this knowing the liability, um, but it's, uh, it's leading to a lot of disputes. So uh, how long will this be playing out in court? How long will this be tying up courts? In, I, I think it will probably take, um, you know, 
one or, or, or two decisions to um, help ease the uh, the level of uncertainty that we have now um, in terms of um, in terms of being able to have these these situations resolved. But it could be quite some time uh, before that happens, uh, depending on. Uh, the method in which the court decides to hear it. Is it going to be a trial? Is the court going to hear it on a more summary basis? Um, I suspect we'll hear at some point this year, but it's it's going to be at least several months. Where is the gray area here, John? I mean, is it a case of, you know, if you're on a front line, you're a frontline worker and you're you're exposed to to customers, people all the time. Obviously, you're at a, you're at a higher risk and you put others at a higher risk. Same same thing with health care. Where's the gray area here? Where where does this work? Where does it not? Where's the question, the challenge? Well, I, I first look at this as a very at a very fundamental level, which is has the government made it um, has the government made a decision that these employees have to be vaccinated. So we look at the hospitals, for example, which is a case where you would think is particularly sensitive mm. uh, to vaccination, right? And the, and the Ford government looked at that situation and they made a deliberate decision not to require vaccination as terms of employment. They had the power to do that and they decided not to do it. So when one of these hospitals nevertheless implements that kind of policy and treats non-compliance of that policy as the basis for an unpaid leave or a, a dismissal for cause, which are functionally the same thing. Hmm. Um, it really raises questions as how can that possibly be uh, what health and safety legislation requires when it's that same provincial government that has jurisdiction over that health and safety. So that's the first thing I look at. Um, has, the, has the government made a decision to do that? Um, outside of that, um, you, you know, there are st- certainly still some lawyers that will say, well, it depends on the situation. But you also have some situations that are real head scratchers, right, where you have people who are working from home and still being told that they are being terminated for cause uh, for mm-hmm. non-vaccination, which, which, when you think about it, doesn't really have a whole lot of logic to it, right? So have all of the legal uh, tires been kicked here? Has everything been or, or is every situation different? Well, I, the safest way to look at it is that every situation is different, and the court has not ruled on this um, at all. We have a number of uh, uh, decisions in the unionized context with respect to the enforceability of vaccination policies with respect to those um, collective agreements. And for the most part, though not all, but for the most part, those policies have been upheld with respect to those um, collective agreements. But we don't have any decisions uh, with respect to whether an employer can uphold a four-cause termination in the non-unionized context. Obviously, we're encouraged everyone to get vaccinated here, but any advice to people who find themselves in a situation like this? Well, the first thing that I always tell my employees is that if you, my clients uh, rather, is that if you're put in the position where you've already made the decision not to vaccinate, right, and no one's going to convince you otherwise, and now you're being faced with a decision as to whether, um, you know, the very personal decision whether to vaccinate or to keep your job, well, the next best thing you can do is at the very least offer a compromise by way of testing, uh, by way of telecommuting arrangements, uh, particularly telecommuting because um, certainly the provincial government has recommended that. So if you can't, if you can do your job from home and the employer nevertheless insists uh, on you going to work, um, then um, uh, certainly the employer is going to have much to answer mm. for there because they're not taking the safest route. From the employer's perspective, uh, the best way to do this is to consider a balance, right? Can you have your employees work from home? And if you can, you should be doing that. Can you have your employees work uh, with testing? Consider compromises.
John Pincus with his partner, Sanfuro Tamark and LLP, talking about navigating the world of uh, the unvaccinated and uh, the, the legalities around it. John, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. You too. Where is the leader that's going to get us out of this crap? Where? Where's the... And that's gotten to the point now we're looking for people with trench coats on. What do you got? What do you got? What do you need? What do you need? How can you get us out of this? What do you got? You got a test kit. Uh, you got a vaccine. What do you got? What do you need? We need leadership. We need leadership is what we need. And as a country who uh, grips when crying and just brought to its knees because 10% of the population won't get their damn vaccination... And because of that, it's literally crippling our health care system. What if we had the same numbers the U.S. had? I guess our health care system would have exploded about six or eight months ago. Uh, again, uh, you know, fix the damn health care system. Stop yakking and talking down to us and, and taking our freedoms away. And instead, Mr. Prime Minister, write a big fat check to the provinces for health care. Like they used to do back in the day when they came up with health care. Like they used to do before your dad stopped dink- started dinking with the system and every government has done since so. I mean, is this what's going to happen with daycare? Yeah, we're encouraging all the provinces to get into daycare. Then slowly we'll just keep pulling back, pulling back, pulling back till you're left on your own. As we are with a health care system. And once we get 100% every single Canadian vaccinated, which we will... <laughs> Uh, that's going to solve all our health care problems, apparently. We'll never have this problem again. As long as we vaccinate, 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 it's going to take care of hallway medicine. It's going to take care of lineups and wait times. It's going to take care of all that stuff. And why do we boast about a health care system that is in such a state of affairs? The people that work at this system, work in this system day and night, are constantly neglected. In many different ways, whether it's hospitals to long-term care. Why are we treating these people like second-class citizens and letting letting politicians divide us? Over 10% of the population uh, is dividing us. Because politi- we're letting politicians do this. If we were to focus all on the health care system... We'd be in a different place. We already have some of the highest vaccination rates in the world. I'm hoping you do more. Do more. Do more. But it's not going to fix the healthcare system. Here is a great report from uh, Global's Mike Armstrong on where Canadians' heads are now. If there's ever been a topic made for talk radio, debating taxing the unvaccinated may be it. Krista, what do you say? It should be at least three to $400. It shouldn't be an amount. It should be a percentage of an income that the people have. When smoke became a secondhand smoke issue, we banned it. Right? This is not something new because of COVID. Be fair. Quantify how much of a burden the people are in back. They get some flu or place on the healthcare system. People lead a sedentary lifestyle. People eat fast food. And then make it fair, tax them too, and we get rid of the universal healthcare system altogether and be fair about it. While Quebec's proposed anti-vax tax may only apply to Quebecers, the debate is affecting Canadians across the country. 
Dave, what do you think about Legault? The issue, as they say, lit up the lines in Toronto. Yeah, I don't like it. With some nervous about a slippery slope and what could come next. It, it frightens me. And others applauding the Quebec Premier's tough approach. He's angry. He's probably frustrated. He has a lot of guts. So uh, like it or not, uh, I respect the man for that. In Vancouver, different conditions, but the same questions. A recent poll found about 60% of Canadians would support some sort of a health surcharge for the unvaccinated. That's about the ratio of support the idea is getting on BC Radio. Anne on the line in Langley. Hi, Anne. What do you think? I really think they need to pay their way. That's despicable to say that. It's despicable to say that you're going to charge people. Quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of us collectively being held hostage by, sadly, the previous caller who probably gets his medical advice from Joe Rogan. If I can't control what's in my bloodstream, then we're not in a free society anymore. This is communism. Not a good idea, no. For or against, whether it's Calgary or St. Catherine Street in Montreal, this one has people talking, and that may be part of the reason for the proposal. Quebec's health minister says the day the anti-vax tax was announced, appointments for first doses jumped, 7,000 people booked. Whether it ever happens or not, it may already be having an impact. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Should we be taxing those that are unvaccinated? Uh, obviously, uh, the discussion continues. This has turned into be not only a provincial issue, but something that's been talked across the country. And not only that, around the world, uh, people are talking about this. Uh, Austria, Greece moving towards this. Not there yet, but uh, will be uh, in the coming weeks or months. And, um, and now Quebec, obviously, talking about this. Ontario premiers have said they will not introduce a mandatory uh vax uh, anti-vax tax uh whatsoever I, I, we haven't heard any premier other than uh the premier of quebec that uh will instigate this other than that uh the good news is uh, a pile of people got <laughs> signed up for their first dose today in quebec uh it, it seems to be working uh but obviously uh and i've stated many times i think this is more of a distraction to keep our attention away from the fact that uh we have a crumbling healthcare system that is in need of a funding formula change and it is collapsing under covid-19 not necessarily the public or the population of Canada. Uh, what are the legal ramifications of what uh, Quebec is trying to do? Is it even possible? Let's bring in Julius Gray, Montreal civil rights lawyer, and with us now. Julius, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, I'm fine. Uh, from a legal perspective, can this be done? What's the road ahead look like? Well, I don't think it's a tax. I mean, they may dr- dress it up as a tax. And they may uh, enforce it through the tax system. I don't know yet. They haven't announced that. But I think it's something else. They're really trying to force, to, to make uh, vaccination mandatory. And uh, the question then comes up, can this be done? Because, you know, remember, if you make it mandatory and then say there's a penalty, that penalty will inevitably be a fine, not imprisonment. Right. So it's exactly right. the same thing that they're doing right now. So I think the issue should not be around taxing. <laughs> and it certainly isn't making Medicare conditional on it. They're going to treat people whether they've paid or not. So it's not, uh, it doesn't go against the Canada Health Act. But uh, the, uh, the real question is, is there a possibility for a government to force vaccination? And the answer is, it's clearly, I think, the first part of the answer is easy. It's a violation of the Charter. It uh, causes, uh, it's an invasion of somebody's bodily integrity. It's a very major invasion. On the other hand, 
charter violations can be justified by the government, and the charter itself says that. So the question is, will the government be able to show that the type of immersion, uh, um, the type of uh, danger we're facing uh, justifies this type of violation? And the test is threefold. The first thing is easy for the government. It'll be easy for the government to show that it has a laudable purpose, fighting mm-hmm. COVID. The second test is also, I think, quite easy. It has to show that there's a legal connection, uh, a logical connection between the measure taken and fighting COVID. And I think you'll be able to show that it is. The third part of the test is where there would be a battle and which could go either way, which is, is there a less uh, invasive measure that could be taken uh, rather than forcing vaccination uh, with a penalty? Um, it could be argued both ways. Uh, let's make it clear. If COVID had a 50% mortality rate, I don't think we'd be debating it. It would right. be mandatory. If, on the other hand, there was no mortality at all, and it was simply the inconvenience of a few people being off work, we wouldn't be debating it other, either because there would be no, nothing to be said in favor. So the question is whether on these specific facts, uh, in the situation where it is a serious matter, uh, but maybe not uh, massive mortality, but still quite considerable and so on, whether it's justified to do something which makes vaccines mandatory. And whether you dress it up as a tax or as a payment for not being vaccinated, you're, what you're basically doing is fining people who are not vaccinated. I think it could go either way. It's a close call. It would depend on the COVID situation at the time of the hearing because, you know, judges live in society and they uh, reflect the feelings at that point. Uh, there's certainly an argument for the government. There's also an argument against uh, a violation of the charter to this extent. Uh, but, you know, when uh, it is true and, uh, that life is very important and the government would have the argument that they're trying to protect life, that they're trying not to expose people uh, to uh, the possibility of dying or the possibility of not having medical care for other diseases. Uh, There is a serious argument in favor. There is an argument, a serious argument against. So in a sense, this is a fine before there's even a law here. Does that mean there has to be a mandatory law put in place in order for this to work? They haven't passed anything at all. They've uh, they've merely announced it. So, of course, there'd have to be a law. Uh, And uh, when put in the law, the issue of its legality would be contested. But I think the problem is not the form of tax or uh, payment for Medicare. That's not what it is. It's mandatory vaccination, yes or no. Uh, That would be a better way to put it because it's more frank, more honest. And there is something, you can debate it. Italy, for instance, has brought in mandatory vaccination for people over 50. You, you can argue that. You can also, you'd have to listen to the civil libertarians who say you really can't force somebody to undergo uh, an invasive procedure. Uh, is this, and I, I don't, obviously I don't, I don't think this is a legal uh, question, but is this a distraction to avoid dealing with a crumbling healthcare system that is in need of a funding formula change? Can that be used as a counter to this in court? I don't think this particular measure is that, but I think you put your finger on a serious problem. The problem is that our Medicare system has turned out after some cuts and after tax cuts and uh, after... Uh, uh, various uh, 
uh, years, after many, many years of uh, a certain type of conservatism, uh, Medicare is under pressure and um, something will have to be done to ensure funding uh, at a more reliable rate. In particular, you've got to make certain that we've got in enough equipment in ICUs that if there is, for instance, a pandemic in the future, that people who need ICUs for other reasons are not suddenly kept out of it. Uh, so uh, I'm not, I don't think this particular measure is uh, uh, an attack on uh, funding of Medicare, but I think there is a problem with the funding of Medicare, and there is a problem with our uh, medical system not having uh, stood up fully to uh, the uh, injury caused by covid Julius Gray with us, Montreal civil rights lawyer, talking about what everyone is across the country, uh, Quebec's uh, anti-vax tax. Julius, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton today. Will Erskine on the board and making their way into or from the newsroom into the virtual roundtable uh, room, I guess, is Lisa Pileski and Dave Woodard. Uh, table heads, thank you for taking the time. Enjoy that you're here. Give yourself a round of applause. Hope you're all doing well. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you know, I was, I don't know if I told this story or not, um, but I was at the LCBO of all places, uh, over the weekend and I went with my purchase up to the, uh, lining up and, you know, the whole rigmarole and went to the cashier guy and, uh, he, you know, the, the typical cordial, how you doing? How you doing? He goes, living the dream. Uh, which I broke out and laugh and started laughing right there in the line. And then I went through my purchase and, and so on. And then I took my bag and I walked through the door and I heard him say to the person, uh, that came in after me, how you doing? Fine. Living the dream. So he says it to every single customer, uh, that comes in, which, you know, that's one way to look at the positive. I that, can, that, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I can relate to that as someone who has been a cashier in my, in my past. Sometimes you just have to be on autopilot. You have a script yeah. and you just go in and it's just like, like that's how you get through the shift, man. That's right. Just living the dream. Yeah, but it was it was hilarious. I was laughing all, uh, walking out of the parking lot. It was must pretty be, funny. Must be part of the script because I got I think I got the same cashier last week. Did you really get the I same so. sort of thing? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it's part of a LCBO memo. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> they don't have that at Jackson Square. So LCBO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell you that. What do you want? <laughs> all right. All right. Let's start with the poll question of the day. Do you give Ontario back to school? Uh, Ontario's back to school plan a thumbs up or a thumbs down? You know, after doing this for uh, at least the several weeks we've been doing it, I'm starting to understand that the people who participate in the CHML poll question of the day are always going to vote for the negative. Uh, 66% say down. Uh, we'll start with you, Lisa. What do you think? Uh, back to school plan, thumbs up or down? I don't know. I don't know. I like, well, I liked hearing uh, what um, the bub- public board chair, Don Danko, uh, she said on Good Morning Hamilton this morning re- with Rick Zamperin. She she really didn't want to have to give it a grade, but she was finally was all Came right. C. Yeah, she gave it a C. She's like, well, at least we got it, you know, not at the last minute. They are still going to have to take a half day tomorrow to kind of get things all, uh, you know, done, whatever they need to do before they're going back. But I mean, I I do hear the frustration of like, we could have had some of this sooner. I'm sure we could have. But, you know, I, I don't have kids and I am not in the education system. So I am lucky that it doesn't impact me. Dave? Yeah, I think that no matter what kind of program that was put into place, I think there were, all, there were always going to have people that didn't like the idea of, of getting back into class and some of the plans that were in place. I agree with Lisa that some of it should have been released earlier. 
but I think that a lot of the problems that are going to happen in the schools, we don't even know yet. Uh, mm-hmm. And we won't know until the kids go back to school. So uh, is someone, is a plan had to be made and a plan had to be put out there. Uh, communicating the plan might have been an issue, but a plan is a plan. At least something's in place. It'll be interesting, as you say, Dave, to see what happens in the next two weeks once we get through this, uh, you know, going back and, and all hands on deck. It'll be interesting to see where we are coming out the other side of this uh, and where the shoe drops. All right. Uh, lots of chatter. We talked about it yesterday, and I have a feeling we'll be talking about it tomorrow. Uh, Quebec making lots of hay in regard to their proposal to uh, to uh, make it mandatory for vac or sorry not mandatory for vaccination but if you uh, do not get a vaccination you will be taxed. Uh, Greece and I believe Austria also working on something like this as well uh, and coming up in the future. Uh, your thoughts on this? We're seeing uh, lots of of reaction around the world. Is Quebec becoming a, an authoritarian state? Once you think of an anti-vax tax. The curfews that they've in place, we certainly know about the young teacher that was fired for wearing her her uh, her headdress. So what is this getting out of hand? Have we moved from uh, socialism to to an authoritarian state? What are your thoughts? Let's start with you, Lisa. Uh, well, I will say that uh, we did learn today that Quebec is lifting the curfew, so at least there's that uh, that will be happening on Monday. Really? Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So they'll be lifting it as of Monday. I think uh, Free- Premier Francois Legault said because the number of infections seems to have peaked and that hospitalizations are expected to peak in the coming days. So I think, you know, it's done its job. And I don't know if I would call it an authoritarian state. I mean, I feel like, yeah, certainly they, they've definitely implemented a lot of rules that we would see as strict, certainly, but um, it, it, these are these are exceptional times, and exceptional times call for sometimes sometimes exceptional measures. I don't know that I agree with all of them, but it, I don't live in Quebec, and uh, thankfully, I don't have to deal with them. Yeah, <laughs> Dave, your thoughts on this? You know, is, so, it, is it is it just a scare tactic? Oh, totally, it's a scare tactic. And and there was actually a a, um, a story that was done. I think it was in the National Post last night, saying that this is all bark and, and no bite. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly how this goes down. Again, like I said yesterday, uh, it won't stand to a charter challenge um, if it does go to court. So I, I don't think that it, it's necessary. I think it's just Francois Legault just saying, okay, listen, this is something that we're going to do, so you better get vaccinated. And I don't think there's any actual intention of putting it in. It's interesting how, you know, you were talking about uh, they're lifting the the curfew restrictions. Uh, well, then is there any need to progress with this? Well, what are your thoughts? Um, is, do you think this is a scare tactic? <laughs> well, my first thought is, especially now that uh, after hearing how Dave said it, it sounds kind of like when your parents are like, hey, hey, you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. you don't. We might not take you to the movies or whatever. You're grounded. You're grounded. And you're kind of thinking, am I really? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know what? It does feel kind of, uh, uh, I, it feels like a scare tag. It feels like, at least, it feels like floating an idea and seeing what the reaction is. And we've seen a lot of people signing up and getting vaccinated, uh, going for it, because they're not going to mess around with it. Uh, does that mean that they have no intention of following through with it? Uh, no, I don't believe that. I think if they, I feel like, yeah, if they get everything lined up, then sure, they'll, they'll go for it. But they've got a lot to line up in the first place. 
All right, here's another debate on the same sort of issue. This around the Australian Open, uh, tennis player, uh, tennis player Novak uh, uh, Djokovic, uh, not vaccinated. It's been very vocal about it, but has had COVID nineteen. And I understand if you've come down with COVID nineteen, uh, that obviously you build up immunities, and that is as significant as as a vaccination, at least for a short period of time, and will get you a, a an exemption. And that works in the Canada-U.S. border as well. Uh, that being said, the optics are what they are. This guy didn't want to get vaccinated. That's the rules. Should he be allowed to play? Lisa, we'll start with you. I mean, I don't think that athletes deserve any sort of special treatment. He, he yeah. went against the rules that they had in place for everyone. And the fact that he thought that he would be able to, you know, get the... Uh, get a magic ticket into the country just because he's Novak Djokovic. He's, he is the mightiest tennis player. Like, I don't care. I personally, I'm sure Australia doesn't care that much. So I, I don't think they should bend the rules for this guy. And you think if you had 10 uh, Australian Opens, uh, you know, you could theoretically get your 10, your 10th this time out. Why not just follow the rules and get vaccinated and move yeah. on with your legacy? Dave, Silly. what are your thoughts? I can only imagine how somebody who lives in Australia feels for the last two years. You've not been able to travel anywhere. You've not been able to go to see family who lives in, say, Europe or in Canada. Uh, And then some guy who plays tennis good gets to come into your country. Uh, It it must be frustrating not only to Australians, but it's also uh, very frustrating uh, to people watching it from Canada or anywhere else in the world, you know. So uh, it's it's I don't think that he should be able to play Uh, if he's not vaccinated. If the rule is you have to be vaccinated to be there, then you don't follow by the rules. You don't play. There you have it. All right. Thank you, Table Heads. Much appreciated, as always. Will Erskine, Lisa Pileski, Dave Woodard, and, uh, of course, joining us every uh, day at this time for the Roundtable. Thank you again. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. It is 4.51. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Uh, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa and Dave in the newsroom. Feel free to jump into the conversation. Love to hear from you. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221. Start 9900 on your cell. You may have heard this uh, uh, d- debate brewing in regard to uh, trucking and keeping the supply chain moving uh, across the Canada and U.S. border. The federal government is now backing down from a uh, mandate uh, that uh, COVID-19 vaccinations were needed for Canadian truckers just days before the new rule was set to take effect. A a spokesperson with the Canadian Border Services Agency said that Wednesday unvaccinated Canadian truckers crossing from the United States will remain exempt from testing and quarantine uh, requirements after entering the country. Those requirements will, however, still apply to unvaccinated or partially uh, foreign nationals, including American truck drivers, starting this Saturday. Uh, it doesn't really work unless both parties jump on board. I'm not sure where this is going. Uh, let's talk about that and all the fun we're having in Quebec with Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, Scott. So explain sort of where we are with the uh, trucking situation. And I understand we're going to be in the same predicament in a week because the U.S. Is, has a similar sort of, uh, of uh, restriction coming in. 
Well, yeah, I was I was wondering about how, how what exactly the U.S. is going to do here, but certainly you can understand the Canadian part. Uh, we, you know, if you watch if watch American news uh, in the evening, you often they often go into a uh, store and they show all these empty shelves and a lack of fruit yeah. and vegetables. We don't, we haven't seen that yet. But if we made it, you know, if we basically said. You know, uh, Canadian truckers couldn't go back and forth uh, if they're not vaccinated. We'd probably start wine, you know, be in the same situation. I think, and I think we'd have a very a lot, you know, very unhappy people who, you know, can't go in, can't go into their store and get the the vegetables and fruits that they want. What about uh, in a week and and the U.S. regulations? Uh, is this all for naught if they if everybody's not on the same page? Well, uh, we're going to have to see how that actually works out. I'm not completely sure how it's really going to work out when they try to enforce it. Uh, one thing in the U.S. is that the, uh, the U.S. government, uh, try, if they try to do that, and really the, the way we imagine, uh, you know, the, the, the big American food companies have a lot of sway in Washington, and they don't want to lose, you know, the, their sales into, the, into, into Canada because uh, we buy a great deal of food, uh, you know, and especially in the wintertime from, uh, from, uh, from the states things that we obviously can't grow here in the winter or grow at all. So I have I'm I'm you know I'm a little skeptical that they would have you know have a strong enforced rule that would say, you know, that they would uh, not uh, allow these American drivers to go back and forth and maybe uh, maybe even not Canadians who aren't vaccinated. So I I'm sort of a wait and see on the US one and uh, I'm not so sure it's going to be all that much of a problem for us, but I may be wrong. We can see in a couple of weeks. All right, the great debate across the country and in many parts of the world is what Quebec is doing in uh, in trying to instigate attacks for those for the for those anti-vaxxers that refuse to get vaccinated. What are your thoughts on all of this, Henry? Well, the thing is, you know, what I find is interesting about Quebec is Quebec premiers like to make uh, make to uh, put out the image there, men of action. They come up, you know, we we have a long history of that. Uh, going back certainly to at least Rennie Levesque. And, you know, they come up with great ideas, and I'm a man of action. We have a problem. I have the idea. And they, you know, and they come out with this. And this is, so this is part, I think, of the, of the you know, the premier in Quebec. Uh, he clearly is having a tough time managing the, uh, the COVID uh, crisis there and, uh, you know, the hospital situation. And uh, so, well, he comes up with an idea. I'm going to show people that, uh, you know, I've got a great idea here that we're going to uh, make make those people who uh, who ha- won't get vaccinated. We're going to give them a real penalty. We're going to give them a big tax charge. And and uh, and, uh, you know, so I'm not going to I'm not going to put up with these people not getting vaccinated. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's you know, it's basically more of a you know, a, a political leadership play looking like he's in charge. Whether he's actually going to do it in the end of the day, I don't know. I mean, he, he could do it, I think, in terms of administratively, because, uh, you know, generally your Ministry of Health in a province will know who's vaccinated who's not, so it's easy to send a bill to people who aren't vaccinated. But whether he'll actually do it at the end of the day, I'm not so sure. Henry, is is Quebec turning into an authoritarian state? A firing teacher who doesn't wear, uh, for wearing her uh, religious uh, headgear, uh, curfews, an anti-vax tax. Is this turning into an authoritarian province? Well, I'm, I, I wouldn't put it that way. In terms of that teacher, for example, notice that she... She she lost the job she had, but they moved her to another one. So she a job. So as far as I know, she's still getting paid her same salary. 
So it's I, again, that's a that gesture. doesn't make it all right, Henry. <laughs> no, it doesn't make it all right, but it's a gesture. It indicates it's more a gesture to the population. As I said, the the, the premiers I think like to be seen as men of action, and they're going to do dramatic things, and they're going to be a dramatic leader, and they're going to make people do things, you know, that that are going to make the province better. And what about what about the prime minister's response to it? Because every premier right across the country, we had former premier Kathleen Wynne on the day that the story broke, and she said, "No way, man, slippery slope." And none of the premiers have agreed. The prime minister, very conveniently, again sitting on the fence with all of this mm-hmm. uh, and, and letting Quebec get away with whatever it gets away with. Uh, what about his response? Uh, well, the prime minister has to be very careful, and is always is about anything Quebec does. Because he doesn't want to get into a fight with Quebec, because he knows the premiers of Quebec generally, particularly, uh, you know, are always looking for a good fight with the, uh, you know, with the uh, prime minister, because it makes them look good among the, yeah. you know, the Quebec popu- population that that our leaders standing up to, you know, Ottawa, we're we're a country, you know, we're we're our own nation, and we should be able to do what we want, and you know, basically. You know, the prime ministers up in Canada want to be very careful about throwing oil on the waters and playing into the hands of the premiers uh, by getting into a good fight with them. So, you know, that doesn't surprise me. But the question is whether, again, whether this is actually going to happen. This is what I wonder about. Hmm. How much of this is just really boisterous talk? Uh, many have said it's that's ma- actually going to happen. <laughs> yeah, many have said it's just a scare tactic. Uh, scare yeah. tactic. Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Okay, same to you. Enjoy talking to you, Scott. One of the huge stories today over and above Quebec and whatever is going on there. Uh, Buckingham Palace says Prince Andrew's military affiliations and royal patronages have been returned to Queen Elizabeth. Mom! Give me back my sword! Uh, apparently with her approval and agreement. Mom, I want my hat back! What about my medals? Mom! Uh, the prince is embroiled in a sex assault lawsuit. This is a civil, not a criminal offense in the U, uh, it, with the United States, all related to the Jeffrey Epstein uh, shenanigans and such. In a statement, the palace says the Duke of York will continue not to undertake any public duties. Yeah, like I thought he was already doing this and is defending the case as a private citizen. Looks like mom's going to have to pay for this one. Uh, Royal commentator David Fitzwilliams is in London and uh, talked to us about if this was inevitable. I think that this was inevitable, but it was undoubtedly hastened by the response to him keeping his military links by about 150 military veterans. There's no doubt at all that he prized these links. He was a brave pilot in the Falklands War 40 years ago, but the facts were that he has become a total embarrassment with the announcement by Judge Lewis Kaplan, that the civil case which Virginia Roberts Jeffrey is bringing against him will go ahead later in the year. Andrew has become a total embarrassment. His legal team attempted to use technicalities which failed to change the judge's direction. And the interesting thing here, it appeal it appears the Queen and the Royals are now distancing themselves from Prince Andrew. 
But it's very definitely the Queen distancing herself in her platinum jubilee year, 70 years on the throne, a unique uh, achievement, and someone who has given devoted service. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of all her family. Andrew is clearly self-centered. He feels he's entitled. He's had catastrophic friendships and is now embroiled in a case which could be absolutely disastrous. <laughs> It's amazing people are saying this now. Uh, I think there was proof of this a long time ago. Uh, but I guess once the Queen gives the nod, uh, that's it. Everybody else does, too, including the uh, royal reporters. Uh, it's pretty sad when you think about it, because here's Queen Elizabeth, 70 years this year, 70 years. And now, you know, and, and how long can she serve the, the way that she has for so long? Uh, and is this the way you want to exit? Is this the way you want to go out with your kid embroiled in some sort of, uh, of sex scandal? You know who I'd love to talk to right now? Fergie. Wouldn't it be interesting to have an interview with Fergie and figure out where he, or her head is in all of this and perhaps give us some uh, early, uh, some early information and some early, uh, I guess, anecdotal information on what he was like when she was married to him? Because, remember, it was Randy, Andy, and Fergie, and it was a pretty wild scenario. It would be fascinating to see what... Uh, She has to think about all of this. Anyway, obviously it is what it is. We'll have to see where the uh, civil lawsuit goes. It certainly does not look for Prince, uh, good for Prince Andrew or uh, the royal brand, uh, especially once the queen does eventually step down. You have to wonder where that will leave uh, the royal brand. Lots of chatter right across the country in regard to, um, obviously, COVID vaccination and Quebec's stance on this uh, and the tax for the unvaxxed which has uh, raised eyebrows uh, not only across the country, but around the world. Uh, I believe Austria and Greece are working towards this, and we'll have something similar to this coming up in the new f near future. Uh, all the pr uh, premiers have pretty much said, nope, we're not doing this. Uh, and even liberal uh, former uh, liberal prime, uh, premier Kathleen Wynne, who was on our show the other day, said, nope, it's a slippery slope, not good, uh, wouldn't go there. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data, with us now. Tim, hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Scott. Yeah, va vax, uh, the vax tax. They, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you may feel like uh, the Jaws music is playing and a shark is surfing on you now. <laughs> great white shark teeth ready to gobble you up. So what is this? Is this scare tactics? Uh, is this an authori authoritarian state? I mean, what is going on here? Uh, it's Quebec in an election year. Uh, yeah. Don't forget, it's not just Ontario that has an election. Uh, it's an easy target. Uh, there's large bodies of uh, people who are not happy with uh, anti-vaxxers, as you know. Lots of public opinion suggests that. Also, it's a helpful distraction, right? Um, the, the, the main story lead got buried, and that was the resignation of uh, Dr. Arruda, the uh, chief medical officer of Quebec. He has a different title in Quebec, but that was effectively his role. So rather than taking questions on why Dr. Arruda stepped down and issues he may have had, that is Dr. Arruda, with, um, uh, with curfews, uh, Premier Legault, who's a pretty clever politician, Scott, threw this out there. And boy, did he ever change the channel, and boy, is he ever finding appeal in his home province for, for it, and I would bet you, Scott, sure as uh, 
you are in Hamilton and I am in Ottawa, that this tax will never see the light of day. Is this just another example to uh, a way to inflame the rest of Canadians about Quebec and then the leaders can say, see, look, they all hate us and I'm sticking up for you? No, I, I think it's less that and I think it's more another tool to try and convince people who are not vaccinated in Quebec to get vaccinated, knowing that, again, Yes, uh, but when you, add this, when you add this, Tim, on top of curfews, uh, firing a teacher for wearing uh, a religious headdress, yep. I mean, my goodness, it, it looks pretty authoritarian. And nobody's standing up to him. I mean, as the Prime Minister uh, himself said yesterday when asked about this, look, I was about to say axe the tax, uh, he, uh, he said, well, he hadn't, doesn't have enough details to offer full comment, but provinces can look at all of this. I mean, the Prime Minister has been very tepid to be polite to him when it's um, dealt with Premier Legault and any of his measures from, as you pointed out, Bill 21 to the, uh, the issue of the teacher uh, who was uh, let go because she ran afoul of Bill 21 just across the river here in Chelsea, Quebec. So uh, Trudeau um, uh, bobs and weaves around any Legault controversy because he's also a politician from Quebec and doesn't want to get caught up in it. Uh, I think a lot of people were surprised at the Prime Minister's reaction yesterday. Uh, what details could he be waiting for that would make this okay? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I don't suspect there are any. I think he's uh, signaling that until there are details, of which he probably anticipates there will be none, no point picking a fight with Legault and giving him another target of opportunity uh, during an election year in Quebec. Uh, you know, that's sort of been Trudeau's modus operandi, as you know. He, he doesn't want Ottawa to get hauled into the uh the the, the quebec um public yeah. battles and and inflame the uh inflame uh the supporters of legault so the legault continues although legault apart from bill 21 apart from this probably been predictable to deal with anyway for uh for the prime minister i think this discussion has changed uh in the week after uh, the holidays and returning. I, I think the, uh, I think the country is, is, is looking at this in a different light. Uh, I think everybody knows somebody who has come down with COVID, uh, and double vax boosted, whatever you need to be. And we encourage everyone to do that. Uh, people are coming out of the other end and they're surviving this. And what this is really showing is we're not in danger from COVID-19 anymore. What we are in danger of is a, a healthcare system, which everybody boasts about, which, which is gra- drastically underfunded and in need of a new funding formula change. To me, this is all a distraction to divide Canadians over a very small percentage of the population, all because he doesn't want to write a bigger check for healthcare, and instead it's easier to blame the provinces. We need a health care uh, funding formula uh, revision. This needs to be fixed. Yeah, but it's, I don't disagree with your, your theory, um, but it's bigger than that, too, right? I mean, whether there was more money in the system or not, uh, how would that have changed things? Maybe there's more beds. Maybe there's more ICUs. Maybe there's more people wanting to get into the health care system. Maybe there's people that aren't burned out after two years of being run at wide open in a system that was or, already full of holes yeah, before we even started. Point, but but uh, or or maybe the discussion should be and if we look at the u.s despite they've not done great shakes managing this but 
they haven't shut down as much because there's private health care there, right? So if we're going to talk about health care, and the premiers are culprits here in all of this, too, instead of just writing checks to the provinces. I agree. Uh, Let's talk about private health care, because remember, when you and I started talking about this pandemic, Scott, some 23 months ago, um, it the focus then was on long-term care facilities. We don't hear shag all about them right now, other than that there are more outbreaks, and there was going to be billions of dollars spent to fix them. So pick a lane, right? It's not if just the provinces- writing a check. If the problem, I agree with that 100%, and it doesn't necessarily mean taking on a U.S. system. There is a balance somewhere. There Agreed. is a uh, there is a a, a a compromise here some way. But if we had the same numbers, Tim, that the U.S. has as far as a, a vaccination rate, our health system would have crumpled months yep. ago. It would have it would have come down months ago. And instead of fixing the healthcare system, you know, they're saying you got to get everybody vaccinated so it doesn't expose the weaknesses. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, but I mean, fixing that. There's no. It, it's like the where we started this conversation. Legault's law, uh, Legault's proposal. First of all, it's got to become law. By the time it becomes law, if we ever know anything about it, this thing's going to be done. The Omicron yeah. wave is going to be done. The Omicron wave could be almost the peak of the wave. We could be in it now. You know, there's different reports to all of that. So there's nothing to do with that. It's the same with the healthcare system. We would have had to have been spending a decade ago to be able to deal with something like this now, and we weren't. When you think of all the money that has been spent, boy, even on an election we didn't need, if that was put into the right uh, area, where we'd be. Uh, Tim Powers with us, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Uh, great debate as always, Tim. Thanks for the time. Be well. You too, my friend. Bye. It appears that unvaccinated Canadian truckers will have to face a quarantine after all. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos says a Canadian Border Services agency release yesterday saying they would not have to quarantine was provided in error and that the initial PCR testing and quarantine requirement for truck drivers stands. He says American drivers who are unvaccinated will be turned back at the border with the U.S. preparing to impose similar measures on Canadian truckers next week. The quarantine measures for truckers will take an effect on Saturday. All right, uh, lots to uh, chat about, whether it's uh, COVID-19, whether it's our uh, healthcare system in need of a new funding formula, or whether it's uh, anti-vax taxes. Where are we in all of this, and is our attitude changing around this global pandemic? Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor the Groot School of Business, McMaster University, and is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well, and by the way, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, Marvin. We haven't chatted since uh, we got back. Marvin, I'm noticing in the last week or so uh, a change in attitude, a change in feeling. And this could be because so many Canadians have now come down with COVID and double-vaxxed and triple-vaxxed and whatever and have moved on and and told the story and such. Um, But I'm certainly sensing a change in attitude in the sense that uh, is this still about fearing for COVID or about COVID-19, or are we more fearful about a neglected health Healthcare system that's in need of some sort of funding formula change has the focus changed, and are we see what we're seeing from politicians just a, a distraction? Whether it's trying to get the last ten percent vaccinated, or, or whether it's an anti-vax tax. Right. So, if, if you don't mind, Scott, I'd like to put a couple of tent pegs in the ground, if I can. Uh, the first is that uh, our healthcare spending in Ontario, we spend roughly sixty billion dollars on healthcare every year. That's for the doctors and the hospitals and all the other aspects. That's out of a budget of $150 billion. 
So that means 40 cents of every dollar the province takes in turns around and is spent on health care. That number has stayed pretty constant for some time, but as we see an aging population, those nice baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964 are entering their prime heart and cancer years. There's going to be a lot of pressure on that spending. Can we find more money to provide that health care? So there's tent peg number one. Tent peg number two is, of course, even though we talk quite uh, lovingly about universal health care in this country, it's a bit of a misnomer. And what I mean by that is, sure, you know, I can go see my medical doctor, my family doctor, but if I want to see my dentist, I pay. If I go to see my eye doctor, I pay. For certain prescriptions, I pay. So I don't really have universal health care coverage. I have a certain amount, and it's a large amount paid. But some years ago, well before we've had this discussion, someone decided, well, for these services, it's not free. You're going to have to pay for this. The government's going to cover that. And why I put those two tent pegs out there is because I think a discussion that we've avoided as we've watched this tsunami of, of baby boomers start to hit on the shore is whether we need to move those benchmarks. And, and are we going to say, you know, now, now that we've seen some of this, this kind of care, whatever A, B, and C are, I think we're going to move them from the public purse into private funding, and you have to pay for it yourself or take out special insurance for it. Um, instead, what we've been trying to do is continue to offer the same kind of health care that we did in the 70s and 80s here in the 2020s, and, and I'm just not sure how much more flexibility the government has to provide that care. And, and you know, obviously, when this all started, uh, the feds and the provinces split this up at 50-50, uh, each paid half. Now, I was talking to Kathleen Wynne, former Premier of Ontario. She said it was down to about 22-23% uh, that the government pays. Yet, the government, because it's a provincial jurisdiction, uh, throws all of the blame onto the provinces. Can you do that when you're not paying your fair share? And as you mentioned, that doesn't necessarily mean the feds have to dole out more, but we do have to come to some sort of compromise and it doesn't necessarily mean taking over the u.s system there's got to be a balance here right so again uh to speak on that given what we're going through right now in covid you may have noticed that we've been distributing vaccines and doing these other things and no one's really talked about the dollars because in essence the federal government has been coming in and throwing some money at the problem there have been many provincial uh, health ministers who said, can we use COVID then to talk about health care post-COVID? In other words, we like the support that you've been giving us during these difficult times. We'd like to see it going forward. And the official answer from the federal minister of health and from Justin Trudeau is, yes, we'd like to have that discussion, but we want to wait for COVID to pass before we have that discussion. The health ministers say, yeah, you wait for the crisis to go by, then what's your incentive to fix yeah. the problem? So there is a little of this going on as well here. I, I like to hear that everyone agrees that there's got to be a discussion. The question is going to be, how serious will that discussion be going forward? Uh, will the federal government do that? Now, again, in fairness, and you and I have had this kind of a discussion before, whether it's the federal government spending putting more money into the pot or the province is doing something, the bottom line, they get all of that yeah. money from you and I. A yep. tax dollar is a tax dollar is a tax dollar. So, you know, are we prepared to prioritize health care funding and maybe cut back in some other areas where those happen to be? Again, I don't want to turn this into, you know, person A against person B, but I know lots of people who are facing their senior years 
perhaps have not saved as much money as they would like, they'd sure like to see old age security become a little richer going forward. Or can't you give me a little more from the Canada pension plan? And you go, well, I don't have all of those dollars. Do you want better health care or do you want a, a richer old age security? It's not exactly robbing from Peter to pay Paul, but that's one of the challenges. The government doesn't have an infinite bucket to draw from. It seems that we are focusing on getting the last few people vaccinated as opposed to what you're talking about and how we address the real issue here. I mean, even if we were to get 100% of the population vaccinated tomorrow, it's still not going to fix any of these problems. And if we did not have such a high vaccination rate, where would our healthcare system be? What if we had the same numbers as the U.S. and there was a lot more hesitancy? This system may have crumbled months ago. Yeah. Now, let me say again, uh, and I'm not a medical expert. I'm just sort of this business school professor looking in from the outside. I think what's caused the most recent set of problems in our healthcare system is COVID affecting healthcare workers directly themselves. Yeah. In other words, when I take a look at the number of ICU beds in service, when I look at many other things, I think we would probably be not having this conversation if we weren't losing 10 to 15% of the workforce to having tested positive. And the minute a healthcare worker tests positive, the decision is you must stay at home because you could affect other people. We don't want you in the hospital system. Yes, it's moved It's moved from a patient issue to a staffing issue. But right. again, is that not even more incentive to address the problem, which is health care? No, I, I, well, I agree that it is. But one of the challenges, regardless of whether it was COVID or something else, we just don't have the kind of uh, uh, pool of workers just sitting in standby mode that you could draw on. So it's exacerbated that issue. And and I'm afraid, again, uh, short-sightedness, we're trying to get through the peak of, of Omicron, which there are people who suggest a month from now this situation might look different. When we get the chance to catch our breath, then I think we should go back to your initial questions and say, all right, what can we learn from all of this? What can we do? Perhaps not to avoid this exact same situation again, but that we can right-size the healthcare system going forward. Marvin Ryder with us, professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Be well. I will. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, and coming up right after the 6 o'clock news a little later on. Uh, Scott, thanks for taking the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing well. First girlfriend was named Rhonda, as it turns out. I don't think Will knew that when he spun that tune. You know, I was just thinking, oddly enough, Scott, as I heard that song, I don't think I know anyone named Rhonda. I don't now. It's been years and years, and... um yeah, isn't your Rhonda? Isn't your Rhonda girlfriend on Facebook? Go see if you can find her. You know, th- those are those <laughs> those are always things that. And I do it on the don't. family computer, right there on the kitchen table. Yeah, I mean, look, it would. It, it, there's always weirdness with that. In fact, just today, and not not just weirdness. I, my, my my mom called me today to say, "Didn't we live near someone named so and so?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. And she said, "Yeah, well, look this up." And it turns out that this guy that I grew up with just died. And you're like, oh. all my age, obviously, all this stuff. It's just I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's fun to do this, and other times you think you just leave well enough alone. What's, sometimes what's the it's past not- is in the. <laughs> Sometimes it's best to stay off social media with it. Always. It's best to stay off social media, unfortunately, but, you know, sometimes we need to. 
Uh, so uh, we talked about this, and we've beaten this to death all day because I absolutely love it. And uh, we talked about it yesterday, and that, of course, uh, Quebec, uh, many are saying this will never see the light of day, and this is just scare tactics and it's politics because there's an election there coming up too. Um, but but I think I what I'm surprised about the whole Quebec anti-vax tax is, and all the premiers spoke up against it. As I said, we had Kathleen Wynne on the other day. She was speaking out against it. I'm surprised by the amount of, of Canadians that think this is okay. Well, and like, and uh, it doesn't so for, it doesn't involve me. I'm fully vaccinated. So what the hell do I care about those guys? Three days in a row without knowing it, you have nailed my first topic. Um, we, you know, we knew that this thing was going to be challenged uh, somewhere. And we talked about you and I talked about this yesterday that someone was going to take this to court and challenge yeah. it. Uh, well, we know who that's going to be. At least one of them now, and we're going to have them on. There's a group um, called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms in this country. Mm-hmm. And they announced about an hour ago that they're taking this thing to court because they're on behalf of Quebecers because they say it is just wildly unconstitutional. Now, I don't know whether it is or isn't. That's what we're going to find out. Uh, but yeah, there, there is there there are people out there who really don't believe in this. But Scott, you know what? There are an awful lot of people as you're looking on different polls and stuff. It seems to be who think, as you say, this is totally fine and this is. You know, uh, this is all okay, and as long and as again, you know, I think I've it's, got my vaccine, then that's what do it. I care, as you said. Yeah, I think that's it right there, because we've got such a high vaccination rate, no one gives a care about this, where it's all just smoke and mirrors to avoid the real situation, which is fixing the problem with the healthcare system. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, again, I think it's because people say, hey, I, I'm vaccinated, what the heck do I care, and, and don't really see the larger picture. It's it's like, you know, um, not necessarily agreeing what someone has to say, but defending their right to say it in a free country. We don't seem to care. Well, okay, so wasn't it, and, and you know, this this story is going to come back, I think, to haunt the Prime Minister, the uh, Omar Cotter story, because it, not that it's the same thing, but there was an awful lot of things that the Prime Minister said back when Canada was giving a $10 million settlement to a terrorist, that now when you put them in a different context, you go, well, wait a second. So one of the things that was said was, and this was about, the taking uh, passports away from terrorists who are coming home. A Canadian is a Canadian. We don't distinguish. So everyone yeah. is the same. And then with this one, one of the quotes that has popped up again recently is, you know, a just society, the measure of a just society, and I'm paraphrasing, people can look up the quote, but the measure of a just society is a country that will stand for the rights of those in an, who are doing something that's unpopular even though it's unpopular, because it's unpopular, that we will say we're not going to force you to do something. And, you know, again, you take some of these quotes, and I understand that we're not talking about apples and apples. It's apples and oranges. But the quotes, boy, you know, some of these things you go, well, wait a second. Who is more unpopular right now than people who haven't got their vaccines for whatever reason? But we've decided that their rights, and again, people listening may think you and I are crazy for even saying this, but their rights, we've said, they don't matter. They, they should have no rights on this. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just look at this thing, Scott, and, and you know, there have been a bunch of experts in various fields that I've been reading over the past day who have all been putting up warning bells saying, you know, this, this is something that you've got to be a little careful of because what does this lead to? And, and, and I the know other thing, those who dismiss it always say, oh, the slippery slope. It's always the slippery slope, except it can be the slippery slope. Yeah. 
Well, you know, we always boast about this great free and universal health care system, even though there's hallway medicine, people lining up and in, in, in wait times for everything. Is it really free and universal if we're charging anti-vaxxers? Well, so those who would support such a thing would say, yeah, but you're costing us lots of extra because you may be filling up the ICUs and you may be causing the health how much of the taxes from how much from the taxes of cigarettes going to our health care system well here's or just the general government coffer for the prime minister here's another thing that someone pointed out today or yesterday that i saw that i thought well it's pretty pretty true and that is any time there is an issue with the government that where there seems to be something that needs to be done to fix a problem what's our solution a tax Climate change. Well, if we put a tax in place, that'll fix it. Healthcare problems. Hey, if we tax it, it'll fix it. How come the solution to everything is always tax? Blame the some other creative way to come up with something besides just saying, "Hey, a tax that'll fix everything." Blame the unvaccinated. That will take the heat off the politician. Uh, Scott Radley has been with us, and of course, the Scott Radley Show coming up right after the news, and you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. And that's it for the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will and Dave and Lisa for participating. As always, we leave it to you, the CHML listener, to have the last word. Well, well, well. Looks like Prince Andy isn't so princely after all. Mommy, give me back my sword! Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.